how many of you in this room are flesh and blood? I'm just checking. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you, anybody's ever called you a demon, but okay, I'm just checking. Now, but, but here's the very serious part. How many of you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, have ever been used by the devil to influence someone else, to hurt someone else? Okay, that's most of us as well. We're in this new series called Counterattack, and we're, we're discovering, last week we discovered we're at war, so if you hadn't seen that, you can find that on Facebook or you can find that on our, uh, on our uh, website, nlccp.com. By the way, that's where you can register for uh, Marriage Night in the lower left-hand corner, nlccp.com. You click on it, and it'll send you through all the instructions to do that. But we found out that we're at war, and the problem is, here's the problem today, is most of us don't know our enemy. So the first principle of warfare is know your enemy. And here's what we read last week, and we're going to come back to this over and over in this series. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. How many of you just raised your hand that you are, you are flesh and blood? So if you are married to flesh and blood, or if you have flesh and blood under your, the same roof as you, they're not the real issue. What's the real issue? Who are the, who are the people we're fighting against? We're fighting against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Remember heavenly realms. So here's the reality. People are not your ultimate problem. This is on your listening guide. People are not your ultimate problem. They are merely conduits for something in the invisible realm. What does that mean? People, and you said your people, you said the people with you are people. Even your own flesh are merely hosts for the invisible conflict to reveal themselves in the visible world. Now, um, um, in 2 Corinthians, I didn't put this in there. This is something the Lord just showed me this morning. Paul said that, that we've got to be real careful that the enemy of God, Satan, the devil, doesn't outwit us. Sounds like, sounds like survivor, outwit, outlast, outplay. And then he says these words. He says, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Can I tell you, people of Christ, we are ignorant of his schemes. The apostle Paul may not have been ignorant, but we're ignorant. And I'm going to show you why in just a minute. To win this spiritual battle, then, we have to have spiritual weapons. There's a little bit of review from last week, but this all goes in together. God has blessed us, we said, with every spiritual blessing. Where? Where are our spiritual blessings? In the, it's underlined. All you have to do is read it. Look up at the screen. Where are our spiritual blessings? In the heavenly realms. So if you need power, you need heavenly power, you've got to go into the spiritual realm to get that power. Now, since this is true, this statement is true, all of our power, every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly realm, then, then we have everything we need to, to win the war. So my question is, why are so many Christians failing and being destroyed in this war? Well, we talked about this last week. It's because we have bluebell in our freezers, right? We're going to pretend this is a freezer. Now, I want you to know that, that this is clean, and so this is actually so clean that, that this doesn't represent me, you, anybody else in this room. This is Jesus' fridge, right? It's clean. All right, we're going to talk some more about that in a minute, but you need to understand, if I go and I buy Bluebell, and by the way, I've not bought any Bluebell, I got rid of my Bluebell, and, and thank you, thank you, you ain't seen nothing yet, you're going to hear more about Bluebell in a minute, but I got rid of all my Bluebell, I've lost 10 pounds since last week, and it's not just Bluebell, I hadn't eaten Bluebell in weeks, but the Lord just convicted me of this. If I go and I buy Bluebell, and I hit my knees when I get home, and I say, dear God, help me not to eat this Bluebell, how much power is in that prayer? Zero. I fully intend to eat this bluebell, God, unless you stop me. How much power is in that prayer? 
None. There's no power because I've decided ahead of time, I'm going to live against my prayers. And so you cannot, that's called being minded. You cannot be double-minded and victorious in the spiritual warfare. Now, this week, you know, I preached a sermon last week, and sometimes I really don't know how sermons go over. Sometimes I feel good about them. Janie's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, ah, I think it's good. Monday, I get a text from my good friend, Michael Thatcher. There's not a single word on this text. Now, yours wouldn't translate, but I went and took the picture. So here's the picture I get from Michael Thatcher. That's, that's the first one there. So this is in the freezer over here in the house, in the church house. Evidently, Thatcher listened to my sermon because he doesn't encourage me. He just says, I found your blue belt, right? That's what I take it. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you take it that way? Right, so I just want you to know, Thatcher, this is not all the bluebell that was on the property. So I text him back. I said, it's not mine. It's been there for months. The reason you know it's not mine is mine doesn't stay there for months. It would have been gone. You'd never seen it. And he doesn't respond until the next morning. He goes, yeah, I know. I just wanted to mess with you or whatever. So, so here's another picture. This is the, go ahead. That's the freezer. No, that's the other freezer. You didn't look at both freezers. And then there's a freezer over here. That's the next picture. So there was bluebell all over this place. So... Here's what I decided to do in response to the accusation of my brother Thatcher, right? So here's the next picture. There were 12, there were 12 half gallons of Bluebell on the property. And so, buddy, I told you I made a video for you. Here's my message to Michael Thatcher. So Michael Thatcher sent me a picture. I guess he thought he had me caught that I was eating Bluebell without uh, telling you guys, but... This is all was in the church freezers, and I'm not playing. Thatcher, I'm not playing. So when you tell me that there's Bluebell in the freezer, and it's time to take Bluebell out the freezer, I'm about to send Bluebell over here to the pit of hell. Are you ready for this? Sherbert is not really ice cream. What did it do? I don't know. Mike Thatcher said it's dangerous. You got Kroger ice cream? Not really ice cream, but it's going to the pit of hell as well. What you got for me now, Thatcher? I told you I had a video for you. All right. <laughs> I ain't playing. Because here's the problem. In all seriousness, here's the problem with most Christians lives they don't look like Jesus free fridge or freezer they look like this y'all ever seen one of those I'm a landlord I've seen those more than I want I take them outside I get the biggest baddest pressure washer I can find and I blast everything off of there most Christians their lives are like this and let's say every bit of that represents sin and I'm gonna keep this in my life while I pray to you God no offense, but when you tell me you've been praying for me and I know your life looks like this, I'm like, your prayers ain't leaving the room. That's all right. You don't even have to worry about me. You should probably worry about you because you got issues. See, if this is you, 
I'm willing to bet that hell is happening in your life. And this is what we said last week. If hell is happening in your life, it is because hell has been given permission to have access to your life. Hell was told either through consequence, either through sin or circumstance, that you're willing to cooperate. You said, pick me, Satan, pick me. Use me to destroy myself and my family. I'm willing. Jesus was asked one time, a guy came up to him and he said, what is the greatest command? And, and, and Jesus, well, first he said, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? That's the story I'm trying to get at. And Jesus said, there's none, none good but one, and he's God. And so you need to understand, you've probably heard the first part of what I'm about to tell you. You may not have heard the second part. First part is God has a plan for your life, and that's awesome. Second part is, so does the devil. And you have to choose whose plan you're going to follow. So in Ephesians, Ephesians is the handbook on spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is telling the the church at Ephesus this. Be strong in in the Lord and in in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, all of God's armor. We're going to look at the armor of God over these next few weeks. When we start small groups in a few uh, weeks, we're going to have Tony Evans teach us about the armor of God in a way that I think will impact you and influence generations. So you need to be a part of that. And we're going to have, you know, there can be home groups. You can do it online. You don't have to be in person, but you need, you need this training. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies. Now, what's in, in brackets there, I put in because I wanted you to understand strategy means deceptive strategy. The enemy of God has a plan to destroy you, and it's all about this deceptive strategy. With God, there's no deception. The first, the first article of clothing in the, in the armor of God is the belt of truth. And it holds up, you know, like a robe. We're supposed to put on Christ like a robe. Truth holds that robe on you. And if you're not true, you're following. If you're lying, if there's not truth in your life, you're following the devil and you're proclaiming the devil and you're bringing glory and honor to your daddy, the devil. There's no deception with God. There is only deception with the enemy of God. So in the beginning, we looked at this a little bit last week. In the beginning, when the enemy of God came to Adam and Eve, he came in the form of a snake. And I, I bet you don't know why. Look what it says in Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty, and I put my brackets in there again. It means more deceptive. The serpent was more deceptive than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Why didn't he choose a bunny? Ain't nothing deceptive about a bunny. He chose because he's deceptive, and that's his nature. And this, the scripture says, the the serpent was the most deceptive animal that God had made. And the reason, so you need to understand this, the reason that the devil took on the form of a snake is because of this. Demons operate best when there's a physical presence through which to work. Because here's the principle, you can't, you can't forget the principle. While spiritual warfare is waged in the heavenly places, our enemy is skilled at locating available vehicles in the physical realm through which to influence, manipulate, and deceive. He's looking for someone who will cooperate. Now, in the beginning, there were only Adam and Eve. They hadn't sinned yet, so they hadn't given the enemy the opportunity to use them. So he chooses the most crafty animal, the snake, the serpent, and he comes to them. But I, I think that you could argue now there are billions and billions of people on the planet, and most of them are willingly saying, Satan, use me to destroy people. I'm available. I think you could argue now 
that sin has come into the world and has progressed for years and years and years, that humans are the most deceptive animal God created. Do I have any argument from anyone? Online, if you want to argue with me, come on, give me your reasons. Billions of people say Satan used me to destroy lives. So what we're going to try to do today is know our enemy. And I'm going to explain some things to you that you may or may not know, but you better recognize. So number one, Satan is after you. Okay, uh, I really struggle with this. So Teresa Gillis has a list of words that I've said that she's never heard any other preacher say. And I don't say words just to, to be dumb, and I don't do that. And so I'm going to say a word that I've never said in, in public, or not in public, but in, in, from the pulpit. And I'm going to explain why. I'm going to tell you what this word means. It's the word pissant. So I looked it up. The term pissant dates from the 1660s. I'm actually going to say it a lot. I'm sorry. This is going to Teresa's list. I have no doubt. Though its roots go back to the 1300s. Listen to this. The term piss ant originally referred to a type of European ant known as the wood ant. So from now on, I will, well, not, let me finish this. And then I'm going to refer to it as the wood ant. But that's what they called them when I was a kid. That's what my dad called them. So that's what I called it. I don't know there's anything wrong with it. Wood ants, here's why. Wood ants make their nests out of pine needles and other forest floor materials. These nests smell like urine due to the formic acid in the ant's venom. Hint, piss ant, urine ant, wood ant. Okay. Listen to this. So, so here's, here's what I want you to know. This is from the dictionary. This is actually from Grammarly, how to properly use piss ant. That's what came up. Oh, my Google. I'm sorry. A piss ant is an inconsequential person, someone who is small or insignificant, and this is actually why I decided I could use this. Piss ant is a slightly vulgar word. If it's been really vulgar, I wouldn't have used it. Pissant is a slightly vulgar term, and it is not generally used in polite society. Well, we're not polite society around here, so. Okay, so here's why I'm using that. Satan wants to destroy you, but his plan is so much bigger than you. Because in Satan's plan, you're a pissant. God says, you're so valuable, I'll die for you. The enemy of God says, you're such a pissant that I'll destroy you and everything about you. And you're going to smile while I do it. Your enemy is after you. He's after your family. And that's what I mean. He's not just after you. It's way bigger than you. If he can destroy your family, he can do so much more damage than you. He can infect generations. So that's why we sing the song, The Blessing. May his favor be upon you and your children for a thousand generations. That's the way God looks at you, but not the way your enemy looks at you. He's after the church. If he can get you... If he can get your family, he can infect the church. And really, you know how he infects the church? Mainly through disunity. Because he knows a secret that we don't know, or at least we don't pay attention to. God's work, this is the enemy knows this, God's work and his blessing is greatly reduced in the context of disunity. Every major problem we've had at New Life has begun with disunity. Someone's unhappy with me. They don't tell me, they tell you. They have a, a meeting over here, and, and I can't tell you how many times there have been prayer meetings to discuss 
that pastor and the pastor is not present is that of God? That is a yes or no question. Help me out because maybe I'm at the wrong place. Is that of God? That was forceful. Thank you. And if somebody comes to me about you, you know what I'm going to tell them? It's written in the word of God. You're supposed to go to that person. Don't come talk to me. Go talk to that person. And he's after our nation. He's behind all the Hitlers and the Saddam Husseins because he knows as goes the individual, so goes the family, so goes the church, so goes the nation. And and we're watching our nation destroy itself right before our eyes. Not one single human, the, the scripture says there's none righteous, not one. Not one single human from the time of Adam and Eve until now has been able to live a perfect life. And so God, knowing all of this, he knew we were going to fail. Before Satan and his demons, they were all angels. They were created, kicked out of heaven because they had pride and tried to take over heaven. He said, I want your glory. God kicked them out. Before any of that, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit talked about the plan. And Satan had no clue it was coming. It was so stunning, he did not anticipate it. God said, when I create these people, when they fall for generations, I want you to go and become one of them. And Satan was totally caught off guard. And he's tried to destroy the church ever since Jesus established it. So when you study the life of Jesus, you figure out something that you need to know. And that is this, God's word trumps Satan and you don't. So I want you to say this out loud. I want you to say, God's word trumps Satan and I don't. Let's say it again. God's word trumps Satan and I don't. Just for fun, if you want to put that, if you, you're watching on Facebook, type that out. God knew that his word would trump everything. Jesus knew. The enemy of God knew. But evidently, you and I don't know because we don't use the weapon. It's the only offensive we ha- weapon we have. It's called the sword of the spirit. And we'll be looking at that in the weeks ahead. So we need to know our enemy. He's after you. He's after your family. He's after this church and every church on the planet. And he's after our nation. So we're going to know our enemy this way too. Here's, his, here's how he gets you and me. Four stages. Number one, desire. Desire is not bad. It's what you do, 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 do. It's what you do with that desire that determines whether it's bad or not. So desire for food, that's not bad. Gluttony's a sin. Desire for sex, hello, in marriage, it's a good thing. Thank you, Jesus. Sex outside of marriage, if you're not married, then it's called fornication. That's sin. If you are married and, you're, and you have sex with somebody that's not your spouse, it's called adultery. It's not an affair. It's not an indiscretion. It's not a mistake. It's sin. Desire, he gets you to focus on a legitimate desire. So, okay, I'm a, I'm a man. I'm, I'm not in any, any other denomination because I want to get married. I like girls. I like, well, one girl and my daughters, but one girl that I like and I kiss and I hold her hands and I've done it for 30 years and I still like her. So I couldn't have been in any other denomination that says you can't have a wife. Well, I'm not having a wife. So the desire's not bad. It's what you do with it. The enemy, so here's what he does. He gets you to focus on the one thing, your one desire. Focus, 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 focus. Because he knows, he knows this. If he can get you to focus on a desire, 
he moves on to step two, deception. Remember, there's no deception in God. There's only deception in the enemy. He doesn't throw an unbaited hook out there, right? Now, sometimes sunfish, they got to be the dumbest fish because sometimes you can catch a, just the flash of an unbaited hook. You can catch a perch or, you know, a little sunfish. But most fish are just going to look at it and, and go on. They want, they want something juicy on there. So he, he knows he can't just, he doesn't say, come get drunk and lose your job and your family in the next seven days. He doesn't say, commit adultery and destroy your family and future generations. He's too smart for that because we're too smart for that. The enemy says, just let me have one little space, one little inch in your mind. And when you begin to discuss with him the possibilities, he just sits back because he knows you're going to focus on the desire and you're going to focus on it so much that you'll meet a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way and you will move on to the third stage, which is disobedience. So in the book of James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, 115a, says, then after desire has conceived, it's like, it's like the, you know, when, when you get pregnant, there's a, there's a conception and it grows. And what happens when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So right before this, James says, when you're tempted, don't you dare say God is tempting you because God cannot be tempted. God cannot tempt anyone. He says, you are carried away by your own desire. And when desire is conceived, it brings forth sin. And I want you to know the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience. So every time you disobey, you're saying to God, I don't believe in you. I don't have problems with people having doubts. Thomas had doubts and God God showed up and said, Thomas, hey, check out the hands. Check out where where the, the nails were. Check out where the spear was in my side. And Thomas falls down. He says, my Lord, my God, doubts aren't the problem. Disobedience is the problem. And so he knows desire, deception, disobedience, and then he moves you to step four, which is where he wants you to be, death. Because the second half of James 1.15 says, well, let's read, I'm going to read the whole thing. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, the illegitimate meeting of a legitimate need, when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So there's three ways that, that death is used in the Bible. Um, the first is physical death, and we all know about that, right? I remember when my dog got run over, somebody threw a, a, a tennis ball out in the road, and my first dog, greatest dog ever, Corky was his name, he got run over. I remember when they brought Corky home. He was physically dead. They didn't have to explain. He ain't living anymore. I saw him. He was physically dead. It was a traumatic experience for me. Physical death happened with Adam and Eve, but not immediately. You need to understand this. This is what Satan's going to tell you. They died eventually, but, but they didn't die immediately. Physical death is when the spirit leaves the body. There's another way that death is used, and it's spiritual death. That means separation from God. You need to understand this. Adam and Eve were spiritually dead immediately when they sinned. Remember, they, Satan needs a host. He needs, he needs a physical presence. When they sinned, they then gave themselves to the enemy of God, and it caused separation from the living God. Now, I want you to notice, if you read, if you go to Genesis chapter 3 and you read, after they sinned, they recognized they were naked. They didn't know that before. They run and they hide. And then here's what you need to know. God came looking for them. They weren't looking for God. God comes down and says, Adam, where are you? And he said, I hid because I was ashamed. And so what God did is, is at, well, after a little bit of talking, he said, why'd you do that? Well, this woman, it's her fault. And the woman, that's that serpent's fault. Then they finally say, God, we, we, we trust you. God goes and he kills an animal. Death had never existed before. 
He kills an animal, spills its blood, takes the, the skin, and covers their nakedness. And because they trusted God, they didn't, they didn't experience the third type of death, which is eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. When you and your spirit are separated, you go to either heaven or hell, and you go to those places based on whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. They, did, they responded to God, so they didn't go to a place called hell. All right, so let's go all the way back to the very first. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was very good. Since Satan can't create anything, he has to maximize deception. Because here's the deal. After you're deceived, you will disobey, and something will die. Every time, guaranteed. Your reputation will die. Your family will die. Something is going to die. And here's what you need to understand about this, this enemy. His skill is so great at deceiving that, that Revelation tells us there'll be a day that he will infiltrate the Antichrist and he'll sit on the throne in Jerusalem in the new temple and his deception will be so great that everyone will say, he's God! So don't you think you can flirt with him or debate with him and win anything with him? Eve's first mistake was she, she engaged him in a conversation. He got one inch of her mind, and then deception, everything else came in. So you need to understand this. In Jude 9, so Jude 9, Jude is one chapter, so you don't have a chapter and a designated verse. It's just the verse 9 when it says this. Look what it says. But when the archangel Michael, so archangel, that's highest angel there can be. When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, so we don't know exactly what the disputing about the body of Moses was. That's irrelevant to our our discussion here. Here's what I want you to see. The archangel did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Someone as powerful as Michael, who is more powerful than you, more powerful than me, doesn't get in any discussion with him. He says, the Lord rebuke you. He doesn't beat his chest and say, look out, Satan, I'm on the floor. I don't know what people say. I look at these dumb things on Facebook and, and Satan says, oh no, he's awake. No, he doesn't. The only one that ever shook up Satan was Jesus when he goes, oh, no, he's awake. You know, people say, oh, when they hit the floor, Satan trembles. No, they don't. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Satan trembled because death had been defeated. And if somebody like the archangel Michael doesn't stand up and beat his chest and say, not today, Satan, then you shouldn't either. The way he responded to the demons is the way we should. Believers are not even to address the demons. Believers are to seek the Lord's intervening power against them. So you can speak, the Lord rebuke you. Jesus Christ, whom I serve, my heavenly Father, rebuke you. There's power in his name. There's no power in your name. So here's how you win. We're going to lose when we try to go in our power against Satan, but here's how you win. Two steps. Number one, submit to God. That means humble yourself before the Lord. He already knows you messed up. Submit actually means repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in actions. And here's what it says. Repentance is I bow before God and I say, you're right and I'm wrong. I have no power. I have no right to call you my father. I come to you by the power and blood of Jesus Christ. And I ask you to free me from all my sin, not my spouse's sin, not my parents' sin, not my granddaddy's sin, my sin. 
The Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now here's something you need to understand. This is, you might just jot this down if you want to read it later. Matthew 23, 12. I didn't put that on anything, but Matthew 23, 12. Jesus is speaking. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself, Jesus said, will, will be exalted. You got two options in this world. Humble yourself or be humbled. And I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be so much better for you if you humble yourself. Here's what James said in James 4, 7. He says, submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil. Don't resist temptation. You're an idiot if you try to resist temptation. And, and I know it was funny, but I wanted you to see how serious I am about not eating bluebell. And that doesn't mean bluebell's a sin for me forever. But for the next 30 days, it's a sin for me to eat bluebell. Because I'm trying to lose weight. I saw a video of myself besides that video. I went, dead gum, I'm fat. And it's embarrassing. And my neighbor even said, <laughs> he's from a different culture, so I'm giving him grace. He said, anytime someone has a belly like that, it means you go on too many vacations. <laughs> How can you argue with that? If you confess your sins, you're forgiven by God. But here's the problem. The enemy doesn't want to release his grip. So you repent to God, and then you resist. So here's, here's what the picture is. Show that picture of Rambo, if you would. Rambo's been in the pit. He's been in a, in a sewer pit, and when they pull him up, these are leeches on him. You can't really see it there. I remember this movie. It's before I quit watching R-rated movies. But I remember when the, the guy there, he, he takes his, his dagger, and he starts scraping off the leeches. See, confession gets me out of the swamp, pulls me up, but confession doesn't remove the leeches. Repentance must be complete or your reputation, your family is going to die on the battlefield because there's no power. I want you to say no power. There's no power when there's bluebell in your freezer. So the second thing is you need to resist the devil. And submitting to God is not the same. It's not the same thing. Submitting to God and confession that gets you out and then, then resisting the devil. See, here's what you need to know. Jesus was the most submitted person ever to walk the planet. He was submitted to his heavenly father and that did not keep the enemy of God from attacking him, right? In, in John chapter four, it says that the Holy Spirit led him out in the wilderness. There's only two reasons for you to be in the wilderness. Either you, your sin has taken you to the wilderness or the Holy Spirit has led you into the wilderness and you, you respond very differently. If the Holy Spirit has led you into the wilderness, you better pray, and you better wait until the Holy Spirit takes you out. If your sin took you into the wilderness, you better repent and get up out of the swamp. Very different responses. So Satan comes to him in the wilderness when Jesus has fasted for 40 days. Jesus is hungry. He tempts him with these different things. Every time Jesus used the word of God, and the last time he does this, he's, here's what he says. Jesus said to him, Satan, away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord God and serve him only. So when we say the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, you think the big long sword. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the dagger. A dagger is something you would strap to your leg. And when the enemy got too close for you to use your big sword, you pull out the dagger. Not today because it is written. You don't know the word of God, so you don't have a dagger. So when the enemy's in your face, you've got no defense against him. Unless you submit to God. Then you resist the devil by using the word of God. Sin is the swamp and leeches are the enemies of God. And too many Christians are sitting in the swamp. Turn up the heat, baby. This is fun. 
and then they're praying to God and they're, they're yelling at God because there's no power in their life. The enemy attacks when I'm in the flesh. He retreats with rebuke when I'm in the spirit. So I got to finish this up. Sin happens in your mind long before it ever do anything about it. In order to keep our fridge clean, we need to change our thinking. So here's what I want you to do. When you have temptation this week, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One is when you have temptation, I want you to have a polar bear alert. Okay, say polar bear alert. All right. Now, when I say polar bear alert, I'm not talking about this polar bear. That's the Coca-Cola. Cute. Let's snuggle with the polar bear. No, I'm talking about this polar bear, the polar bear that will eat you. Look at the blood on that one's face. The enemy wants to eat you. And when sin, temptation comes into your life, you need to take it seriously. If you're walking along, you know, on an iceberg and you're sharing it with a, with a polar bear that's about to eat your face off, what are you going to do? Run! I don't know, but you're getting out of there, right? So you need to take sin that seriously. So here's how you do it. It's called substitute thinking. Um, I want you to look up here at this number nine. Don't take your, no, your eyes off of the number nine. Okay, everybody keep your eyes open. Now stop thinking about the number nine. Keep your eyes up here, but just stop thinking about that number nine. Do not think of the number nine. Do not think of the nice little curve and how it comes down like this. The number nine. Stop thinking of nine. What are you thinking of? Yes. All right, do this. <laughs> think of, what's my next number I put up there? Think of 2,000 divided by 2. Somebody tell me what 2,000 divided by 2 is. Next one. What is 1,000 divided by 2? Next one. What is 500 times 6? 3,000. Okay, close enough. Here's the point. When you were going through that, did you think of the number 9? No, because you substituted. You changed the channel. You have to put the... David said, how can a young man keep his way pure? And then he answers his own question by keeping it according to your word. In Psalm 119.11, he says, your word I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. When I just went through that process, there were no sins in my freezer. There was no sinful thought. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all, and verse 10 says, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. In Joshua chapter 1, Verses 7 and 8, he says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be successful. When I just quoted those verses, there's no, there's no room in the freezer for Bluebell. Does this make sense to anyone? So if you're in an airplane, I'm guessing you want the, the pilot to land on this. What if somebody says, hey, I want you to land on I-45. Go ahead and put I-45 up there. It's way closer to my house. It'd be much more convenient if you landed on I-45. You're so narrow-minded. What, what kind of pilot are you? People all the time are saying God's narrow-minded. It's not being narrow-minded. The best place, the safest place for a plane to land is on a runway? 
Only an idiot would, would willingly jump on I-45 during rush hour and try to land a jet. It's what you're doing when you go out these doors and you try to fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. You're going to be destroyed. He wants to get you focused on your desire. He wants to deceive you. What's the third one? I just went blank. Desire. Okay, yeah. And then disobedience and then death. So here's what you do. If you've got an issue, you better lay it before God sooner rather than later. You need to find support from other Christians. God never intended for you to go through it alone. If you are alone, meaning you're not around Christians, you're, you're, you're proclaiming that you're following the enemy of God. And third, you fill your mind with God's truth. Jesus said these words, and I'm done. If you hold, listen to this, because people don't quote the whole verse. People say, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That's only half of the verse. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. If you obey me, you're my disciple. If you hold on to, if you put God's word in your heart so that you won't sin against him, you're really his disciple. And then he says, the last half of it says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You're not free because of what's in here. You're not free. And I'm not even talking that you have to earn. No, you cannot earn God's power and his favor and his forgiveness you ask for it because it's a free gift and along with that free gift is power from the heavenlies to destroy any stronghold actually it's a fortress and the way you get a fortress in your life is you repeat sin over and over and over again and you confess it and God forgives you but there's still that alien holding on that leech is holding on because you've never resisted the devil with the word of God. That's what we're going to teach you in this series. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. And I pray that you show us that we have no power outside the blood of Jesus Christ. So teach us what it really means to, to shout the name of Jesus over our household, over our enemies, over depression. Teach us what it means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to challenge you to do something, and then, then I'll shut up. Um, this, what you want to know what's funny? This is actually the fewest number of words I had down here, and then I went the longest. So um, I want to challenge you. So what I listen to, I listen to Christian music. I listen to only Christian music, and I'm not challenging you to do that, but I want you to listen to a song by Phil Wickham called The Battle Belongs. I listen to that song every day, and so if you're on Facebook, I want you to do this. If you're, if you're here, every time you listen to it, I want you to put The Battle Belongs, Phil Wickham. And, you know, if, you wanna, if it pops up with the, with the reference to the video, great. But I just want us to, because the, my favorite part of that song is he says, so when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. Oh, God, the, the battle belongs to you. So go home today, listen to that song. I love the drums. The battle belongs. But we got we to put ourselves in a position to receive his power. That's what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. We have two baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we give here at New Life Community Church. So, or you can go online, nlccp.com, and, and click on uh, push pay. Remember to register for marriage night. We need people to get registered for that. And then we have a registration card basket. Uh, that's where we do our prayer concerns. And so if you write on the back of your card, I'll pray for you this week. If you say it's okay to share with our, um, with our prayer group, then, then I share it with our prayer group as well. 
Stand up, hug four people, tell them you love them, and go listen to The Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham.